0: Welcome to Happy Pair Podcast, where our ultimate goal is to inspire, educate and awaken your curiosity and overall to help you to become healthier and happier. We're Dave and Steve, identical twins who started a veg shop nearly 20 years ago. Since then, it's expanded into a social following of over one and a half million people, nearly 50 million views of our videos, nearly half a million books sold, cafes, farms, apps, courses, food products to help you to eat more veg. We speak to thought leaders, health experts, trailblazers and specialists of all kinds. From the ones you know to those you've never, ever heard of. This week's podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot Shoes. We've been wearing them for six years and genuinely they are our favourite shoes and that is all we wear beyond being barefoot. Yeah, they're really, really great. They've tons of different varieties. Uh, You get 15% off with the code HAPPYPAIR15. And if you don't like them, what do you do, Dave? You can send them back within 100 days and get your full money back. Wow, so you've no risk. No risk. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're interested, vivobarefoot.com and the code is HAPPYPAIR15. Okay, this week's podcast is with Michelle Wong, also known as Lab Muffin. She's a popular science communicator and beauty blogger. She gained recognition for her blog, Lab Muffin um, Beauty Science, where she combines her background in chemistry with her passion for skincare and makeup. Michelle has a PhD in chemistry from the University of Sydney, Australia, with a focus on medical chemistry. Her expertise lies in explaining the science behind skincare products and debunking beauty myths through evidence-based research. Really cool, really practical conversation where we explore sun cream. How much should you apply? Should you wear it every day? What's best skincare practice? Yeah, sun cream bit was the most most relevant bit for me. Uh, SPFs, are spray's better than lotions. How much uh, should you apply? All these questions covered in this podcast. So without further ado, we give you the wonderful Michelle Wong. Welcome. It's wonderful to have you it really really is and okay i'm gonna jump right in because our expertise is about food and i know that like my understanding of the skin is that it's the biggest um the biggest organ in the body and it's the the main organ of elimination in our body and a friend always he has this expression he says like well i would never put anything in my skin that i wouldn't eat you know and that would be his thing because it's actually absorbed through your body and how true is that or what are your thoughts on that
1: Well our skin is actually mostly meant to be a barrier so the way that we've evolved it is meant to be like a protective layer around us between us and the outside world so it stops things from getting in. Um, Things like water, um, toxins, anything else we encounter in the environment like mud for example. But it also stops stuff from getting out so we've got lots of water inside our bodies And if that layer on the outside um, is removed, then it just leaks out and we end up with really dry skin. So with the structure of our skin, there's a bunch of dead layers on the top, which is called the stratum corneum. It's about 10 to 20 layers. And that is actually evolved to be a super good barrier. It's actually really hard to get stuff in if you look at all the medications available. There's only a handful that get in through our skin. The rest of them you have to eat or have it injected. And yeah, if we had um if we could administer a whole bunch of medications just through our skin, it would actually be quite nice because no one really likes getting needles if they could just put on a cream, for example. But yeah, our skin is mostly a barrier, so it is definitely not something that you can just absorb stuff through easily.
0: Wow. Well, so in terms of skincare products, then obviously you know, if it is mostly a barrier and we don't absorb that much of it. or do, Well, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, okay, okay. Was, was that a question, Dave? No, no, it's just me me fumbling along and kind of going that, like, I guess my previous thought was that, okay, well, my skin is part of my body. And, you know, the idea that you want to eat, like, healthy skin starts from within. Like, that's one aspect of it because the skin, to my understanding, it's the kind of fruit of our lifestyle. Obviously, we've got genes which will massively dictate our skin. But then how we live our life, like if I smoke and drink loads of alcohol and don't sleep that much, my skin will probably be a representation of that type of lifestyle. Whereas if I've got healthier lifestyle habits, my skin might be more reflected through that. And in terms of the the, like before we jump into the skincare products, like lifestyle, what are your thoughts on the, the implications of how we live our lives, water, food, exercise, sleep? How do these impact our skin quality?
1: Well, just like any other part of our body, our skin relies on nutrients to get all its um get all the substances it needs. So, there is definitely a big aspect of lifestyle. But at the same time, if you think about where our food goes from our digestive system, the skin is pretty much the last place where anything will go. It's like at the very edge of our body. The there are blood vessels that supply it, but it's yeah, it's not as much as a lot of our other organs. So, While there is that impact, a lot of the time it is better to use skincare products because we can get stuff in without any of that filtration. So um, from a nutrition point of view, as I'm sure you know, with vitamins, um, there are certain vitamins where if you have more of that vitamin, you just pee it out. Like it's just gone. But um, with skin, our skin can actually benefit from extra vitamin C. For example, if you have vitamin C and you had extra supplements, that excess doesn't end up in skin. But... If you apply it on your skin, you can actually get, get it there in a really high concentration to act as an antioxidant.
0: Wow, right, okay. so there is benefit of kind of applying vitamins yeah, uh, yeah, externally I, or topically I, as opposed to trying to just purely eat them if you want them to end up in your skin. And Like I saw you had videos of how to make kind of vitamin C type serums, which you apply directly to your skin, like rather than eating loads of oranges or high vitamin C type foods, you apply the vitamin C directly to your skin and you'll reap a benefit in that sense.
1: Yeah, so one really cool thing about vitamin C is that it acts as an antioxidant. So it's really good at finding things with free radicals and neutralizing them. So free radicals, as I'm sure most people, most of your audience would know, is they're really reactive substances that can just attack different things inside your body. Um, So that's one on the one hand. On the other hand, they are really important for signaling as well. So you don't, you want the free radicals in the right place. So one problem with free radicals in your skin is that the sun, that UV can actually go into your skin and form free radicals and those can actually attack things like collagen in your skin and DNA. And that's some of the reason why your skin can get skin cancer and it can end up wrinkly as you get older. So if you apply the vitamin C on top, some of that depends on the formulation, which I think you kind of touched on earlier. You can formulate the vitamin C so that it gets into your skin and it can act to soak up some of these damaging free radicals and reduce the chance of skin cancer and skin wrinkling.
0: Wow, yeah, okay, that sounds great. You mentioned a word there which immediately kind of, I have my list of... Collagen. So collagen, I've only really heard a lot it it be talked about a lot more and seen a lot more talked about. I've only heard the word collagen being talked a lot over the last kind of five or ten years and see it a lot more on top of products. Whereas before that, it didn't seem like it was in the mainstream kind of skincare products or in my awareness anyway. And I just wondered what is collagen and collagen supplements and collagen creams. What are your thoughts on this type of thing?
1: So our skin has a number of layers. It's got that top barrier layer, which is dead. Then underneath that, it's got the epidermis. And that epidermis is really there just to make that top barrier. It's kind of sad. Its its whole existence is just to die and form a nice barrier at the top. And then underneath that is the dermis, which is the lower layer. And that's the layer that's a bit thicker. And it gives, it's sort of like a mattress. So the top layers are like um, maybe the quilt and the sheets. And then underneath, you've got this big firm mattress. And that is the dermis. So the dermis is this spongy thing that sort of supports the skin Uh, the rest of the skin. And that's where the collagen is. So collagen is a protein. It's really tough. It's really bouncy. And that's like the bounciness of your skin. And around from the age of 30, your collagen starts declining. So that's one of the reasons why you end up with wrinkles and thinner skin and also more fragile skin as you get older, because basically the mattress is slowly wearing down um, year after year. Try try to not think too hard about it because it is kind of scary, but yeah that's happening and that's why people care so much about collagen. It, um, if you have like thinner skin then you probably want it to become thicker, more resilient, more bouncy and that's collagen. So in terms of um, what we can do to improve the collagen, unfortunately the best thing to do is probably preserve what you have. Um, with things like collagen you would think if I eat more collagen then I will get more collagen but that's not quite as simple as it sounds. Um, with putting collagen on your skin, collagen tends to be too big to actually get through your skin and add to the collagen that's already there. So collagen in creams, generally that just sits on top, doesn't add to the collagen. It can be a good moisturizer. With the eating of the collagen, um, your body is pretty complex in terms of what happens. If you eat something, it doesn't really know where to go. So collagen is made up of a number of different amino acids and there is one relatively unique amino acid in collagen, which is hydroxyproline. It's not really found in a lot of other tissues. If you just eat collagen, then your body is kind of, well, it does a little bit with it. But what they found is that it seems like if you have hydrolyzed collagen, which is they've taken the collagen and they've chopped it up into little fragments, those little fragments absorb better into your blood. And they can actually have a bit of a signaling role. Um, So the proposed mechanism is kind of like it gets into your blood and your body detects it and it thinks your collagen is breaking down more and so it seems to be able to produce more collagen. So that's the theory. In reality with the clinical trials they're kind of mixed. Um, The effects aren't super impressive and collagen supplements do tend to be quite expensive but It seems like there's some evidence they work, I guess. Um, I guess the main thing is if you do want to protect your collagen, there's a number of things you can do which are probably more effective than taking collagen supplements, things like wear sunscreen to protect against any degradation from those free radicals from UV. Um, There's also some topical products like skincare products that contain vitamin A derivatives that seem to be able to be quite good at increasing collagen. There's in-clinic treatments like lasers that can also stimulate the collagen to grow more but yeah collagen supplements I'd probably put them a bit further down the list because they are less evidence-based and also a bit more on the expensive side.
0: Cool and okay the first thing you mentioned in your list there was sun cream and I wondered I'd love to take this segue and go into sun cream because I know as you said there as we get older like skin it's it's more about managing skin damage than taking other things to to kind of enhance it and I just wondered would that be your first strategy would be kind of sun cream as an Would that be your first kind of thing in terms of skin health, you know, how we apply sunscreen, what sun creams, how often in terms of protecting our skin as a barrier?
1: Yeah, I'd probably say sunscreen is near the top. Um, I guess it depends on where you are, because obviously we all live in different places. I live in Australia, so our sun is extremely harsh and we have a lot of very light skinned people, um, which means their skin is a lot more susceptible to the effects of the sun. If you have darker skin or if you live somewhere where there's not much sun, then it's probably less of an issue unless you do purposely go on um, lots of summer holidays. But with light-skinned people, there was a study that found that up to 80% of skin aging signs were actually attributable to sun exposure. So um, yeah, there's a lot of variation. And I mean, a lot of people, I think, don't really mind having wrinkles, which I think is great. Um, and maybe they will have less of a reason to wear sunscreen. But if you are looking for those anti-aging aspects, then yeah, I would say sunscreen is an excellent investment.
0: With skin, it seems like it's there's not that much you can do to make your skin look younger. It seems to be lots of it largely is about maintaining what you have. Am, am I incorrect in saying that or, is that or is that largely true?
1: I think it's largely true. There are definitely things you can do. Um, but a lot of it is about protection, I think. With skincare, it's mostly about protection because skincare doesn't get in very deep. Um, Some ingredients can get in a bit deeper, like vitamin A derivatives that I mentioned earlier that can get to the dermis and stimulate collagen. But most of them, again, because skin is such a good barrier, there's only so much you can get in from the outside in. There are some treatments that can help. Um, So things like lasers, they can get through the skin and target lower Um, things that are lower in your skin, there are things like, um, well, there are lots of different clinical treatments, like radiofrequency treatments, microneedling, and that sort of more invasive stuff. But yeah, with skincare, a lot of it is about maintenance. And also with um, this sort of, all these sorts of stimulating treatments, the stuff you rebuild is generally going to be not as good as the stuff that broke down in the first place. So yeah, a lot of it is about maintenance, I think.
0: Okay, very cool. So I think sun cream's a really important one to camp out in because even in Ireland, although we're a lot more northerly, obviously you're down south, the sun is really harsh and it's really strong. Sometimes I, I feel like 15 minutes of sun out in Ireland is stronger than if I've spent half the day out in Poland. My wife's Polish. And you, you tend to not get as... The, sun, the effects of the sun seem a lot more benign or a lot less. So what are kind of basic myths around sun cream? Because it's often fed the idea that the more expensive sun cream you buy, the better it is. Like, is there a huge variance between if I spend more like is it linear? I spend more I get better quality that's going to protect me more or is it, is it there's so many questions here around sunscreen, but I guess if you can just give a bit of background on it and then we can dive into loads of different things
1: yeah so sunscreen um sunscreen is really really good for both preventing aging and also preventing skin cancer of course um With sunscreen, there's so much we can talk about, I think. Um, But first off, I think with the um, price question, there's not a really strong relationship. Um, So much of it depends on the market. So for example, in Australia, we have extremely cheap sunscreen that I would say is better than a lot of the more expensive ones. At the same time, some people's skin just doesn't like that sort of thing. Um, A lot of people have very picky skin. And sometimes it's not just about the skin. Sometimes it's about what you personally like. So, for example, a lot of men don't like the feeling of having stuff on their skin, um, possibly because they're just not really acclimatized to it. And so it might be worth paying a bit more for a sunscreen that you like because it's not just going to sit on the shelf and not get used because obviously if you don't use it, it's not going to work.
0: Okay, like when I think of even the first question I'd go is, There's a lot of, like I've got a family and with my kids, I find the sprays are so much easier to apply than a cream. And I know when we go on holidays, sprays are just so much more practical. Is there a difference in terms of the quality of a spray versus a cream?
1: So with the actual substance itself, no. Um, The main thing you want to look for in different sunscreens is the SPF number. So the SPF number tells you the level of protection and it's proportional to the actual number. In general, the bigger the number you can go, the better. In most places, there is a limit to the number allowed, which is 50. I think in the U.S. you're allowed up to, I can't remember, much higher. But yeah, the biggest number you can handle on your skin is going to be the best. Bigger numbers, a lot of the time, because there's more sunscreen ingredients to get that higher protection, they can feel a bit heavier, but these days it's gotten a lot better in the last maybe five years, I found. There are lots of SPF 50 sunscreens that feel just as good as SPF 30 or 15. In terms of the form, that's where the spray runs into trouble. Um, So I think, in general, the safest form of a sunscreen to use is a lotion. How much you apply is really important. There's lots of different measurements, but one really good rule of thumb is one teaspoon for your face slash neck slash ears, one teaspoon for each limb and one teaspoon for the front of your body and one teaspoon for the back of your body if you're an adult. Um, So getting that amount is quite easy with a lotion or relatively easy. It can be a bit difficult if you're not really used to slapping that much sunscreen on. With a spray, um, there are two main types of spray. One is the aerosol spray, which has compressed gas in it and you just hold it down and it sprays out a generally finer mist. And there's also the pump action sprays where you actually have to pump it up and down. There's nothing compressed, like your pumping is pushing it through the spray. Usually it's got like bigger drops, but there's no compressed air. With the aerosol sprays, most of the time they have a propellant in them. And that propellant is something like butane or hydrocarbons. That propellant usually takes up maybe a third of the can. And that means that if you have, let's say, a 100 gram can of sunscreen, you've only really got 67 grams of sunscreen in there. As you're spraying it out, that means like 67 grams, one adult full body application is one shot glass or 30 mils. So that can actually only has two applications in it, which is you're going to have to spray a lot more than you think you would. Um, The other main issue with sprays is that that mist, if there's a bit of wind, it turns out a lot of that just flies off. It doesn't even hit the skin unless you are super close. So sprays, unfortunately, don't seem to be the best form of a product, despite being super convenient which is really disappointing. So with kids, I think ideally try to put a lotion on them. If they really won't stay still and you need that spray, then use the spray. It's better than nothing. But ideally, the lotion is going to be a lot more reliable. And again, the amount you put on is super important. There's an estimation, which is um, most people seem to apply less than half the amount they should, and that tends to drop the SPF to about half of the SPF or even potentially lower which means you think you've got SPF 50 on, you've actually got twice as much UV hitting your skin than you thought.
0: Okay, w- what about sun cream myths? Like I would think a number one people go, well, I'm tanned, I don't need to wear sunscreen. You know the way if, you th- if you've got a tan, you go, oh, I've got a good base layer. I don't need sun cream, I'm fine. Like what are your thoughts on that one?
1: Um, so a tan generally only gives you about SPF 4. Um, this is wow. if you've gone out and gotten a suntan. Yeah, a fake, um, an artificial tan. No, wait, a tan that you've gotten from a tanning bed, I should have said. Um, Tanning beds give out UVA and that tan is actually really bad. Like it does not give you much protection at all. I think it's maybe SPF one or two. Um, So that's even worse than a natural suntan. Plus UVA is linked to some of the worst cancers. So UVA gets deeper into your skin and it seems to be more tightly linked to melanoma. Um, so I believe there is a stronger relationship between, um, tanning beds and melanoma than there is between smoking and lung cancer, Wow, which is, yeah, quite, quite shocking. Um, that's why sun, that's why these tanning beds are banned in Australia. Um, because yeah, the evidence is just really, really scary. Um, yeah. So base tans, not really useful. Um, with artificial tans, so fake tanning products that you put on your skin and then they turn your skin brown, that's also quite similar. Um, so again, it's SPF four, but the nice thing is you don't have as much of that sun damage as you're getting that tan. So I would definitely recommend that over getting a sun, um, getting a any sort of like UV induced tan. But either way, you should be wearing sunscreen on top.
0: Mm. So, so for someone like we live very outdoorsy, active lifestyles you would recommend Factor 50, you know, SPF 50, using it from a cream form, like a lotion form rather than a spray form. 30 mil as in a teaspoon for my face, teaspoon for each limb, a teaspoon for my body, and, and I put that on. And is it typically one coating a day or would it be, if I'm out there all day, if I'm out in the beach all day, it's an amazing day here in Ireland. Oh my goodness, one of the top 10 sunny days of the year. Uh, would I be applying it twice a day? What do you think about water-resistant sun creams? And uh, yeah, those are some of the basics I'd be curious about.
1: Yeah, one of the big issues with sunscreen is you do need to reapply because you've put on that layer. That layer is not going to stay intact. So first off, um, we all have oil coming out of our skin and sweat, and that's going to break up the sunscreen layer from underneath. Then from on top, you're going to be probably moving around, which will shift that layer around. You're probably brushing against things. Um, If you're swimming, then you've got water washing it off. So the general recommendation is if you're being quite active then um, you should be applying at least every two hours and after you get out of the water now applying stuff it's pretty annoying like you're on a hike you have to stop you have to like get dirt off your hands get out your sunscreen and reapply all over your body it's a bit of a pain so one thing i think is really useful is other forms of sun protection like sun protective clothing uh, hats sunglasses even sun umbrellas super helpful because they don't wear down and reapplying well you don't really need to reapply but to even put it on you, it's like two seconds
0: and in terms of vitamin D like I'm thinking of you know the sun feels amazing it feels amazing being out in it like it certainly does in Ireland where there isn't that much sun versus Australia where you are where there's a lot of sun And um, like I know we absorb vitamin D to our, to our skin do we get that indirectly as well like even if I'm going around with a sun umbrella or I'm avoiding the sun do I still absorb it I, I believe it's absorbed by my eyelids is that
1: Um, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it is mostly just directly the action of UV going into your skin and converting that pre-vitamin D into proper vitamin D. So in terms of whether or not you become um, vitamin D deficient if you avoid the sun, it seems like if you avoid the sun, that does happen. If you stay indoors a lot, if you're like maybe um, you're just not a very outdoorsy person, you never leave the house, then yeah, that is definitely a possibility. If you're someone who's quite active and you go outdoors, then chances are you are going to get enough vitamin D depending on the UV index. Um, So the general recommendation is if the UV index is three or above, um, then even just going outside and getting incidental sun exposure, that should be enough even while taking sun protective measures. With sunscreen, we don't apply it on everything. We've got like lots of gaps that we leave. There's like um, your scalp. There's lots of parts of your body that Probably won't be covered and you'll get enough. Um, one thing that um, is quite interesting is if you are standing in the middle of a field, um, about 40% of the UV you're getting is directly shining on you from the sun, but 60% is actually bounced off from the sky. There's a concept called sky view. So if you kind of, again, if you're thinking of yourself in the middle of a field, that whole dome of sky is giving you the full 60% if you start blocking off like half the sky, so you can't see it because you've got a building, you're right next to a big building, then that will give you like half the UV. So if you can see blue sky, even if you're under like a hat or shade, you are getting some UV. So yeah, you can get incidental UV that way. If the UV index is two or below, then the recommendation is you should purposely try to get some sun exposure to get that UV, Uh, sorry, to get that vitamin D.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. Very interesting. And then in terms of the concept of natural sun creams, like, oh, this one's really organic. This yeah. is... I bought really in, in the health food stores. Are they any better than these? Like, I, I see you make a distinction between chemical-based sun creams versus non-chemical or physical, I think it was. What's the distinction between these two? And is there... Is a more natural one any better?
1: Um, I would say no. <laughs> um. Yeah. So with the um, physical sunscreens, usually that refers to titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, which are minerals which are found in nature. When they're in a sunscreen, they're generally not sourced from nature because it turns out these minerals, when they're in nature, a lot of the time they're mixed up with heavy metals. So um, it's a bit difficult to make sure it's not contaminated and that it's um, of consistent quality. So most of the time, when they're in a sunscreen, they tend to be synthetic. They're just like the same as what you get from nature, but synthesized um, by in a factory somewhere. Um, also, with those, um, with those two chemicals, a lot of the time they are ground up in sunscreens. They have to be solid particles. The problem with that is, um, as we mentioned before, it tends to look really white and chalky. The other big problem is they tend to clump together. Um, so if you have lots of nice spread out zinc oxide particles, then you're going to get lots of protection. But if they start clumping, you're going to get gaps, even with the same amount of zinc oxide on your skin. And the UV can get through those gaps. To stop that from happening, a lot of the time they will coat the particles of zinc with something else, maybe a silicone, and that keeps them nice and dispersed. But those coatings tend to also be synthetic. They're not natural. Now, if we go towards the chemical sunscreens, those are carbon-based sunscreens. They're um, molecules that have been designed purposely to absorb lots of UV and not look white. Um, With the newer ones, they're also purposely designed to be quite large molecules, so they don't get through skin very easily. Um, They're also designed to be like a lot lighter feeling on the skin, and because it's unnatural um we've had control over the properties we can tweak the properties so they are what we want whereas if you're stuck with stuff from nature um nature did not really evolve to help us you know have nicer skin or protect our skin from the sun um so yeah i'm a big fan of being able to take things from nature and then tweak them and make them more useful for us so yeah in general chemical sunscreens they will look a lot nicer on your skin they'll feel better um, they won't have that white cast, they won't clump up. Whereas with the natural ones, unfortunately, there's a lot less flexibility with what can be done.
0: And in terms of effectiveness, they, like a chemical one, would they be similar effectiveness? Is that what you found?
1: Um, if the SPF label is the same, then they should be similar effectiveness. But if you look at the super high protective sunscreens, like the SPF 100s that you see, I think there's, there's some in Europe that are um, regulated as medical devices. Um, there's also the SPF 100s you find in the US. Those always have chemical sunscreens in them because, yeah, you can get up to that really high level with these synthetic molecules.
0: Wow, super interesting. And, and what are some of the other big myths around sun cream that you come across? Because I'm sure there's other ones like homemade sun cream is better or coconut oil is a natural sun cream. What are some of the myths which you, you come across that people listening might go, they might have questions in the tip of their tongues?
1: Um, Yeah, those two are two really big ones. So DIY sunscreen is not a good idea. Like getting a lot of the time these DIY recipes are with zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, which clump up. And it's really hard to get them to not clump up with equipment that you have at home, like whether it's like a mixing spoon or a blender. um, You need like industrial equipment to get it to disperse. So highly unrecommended. With oils, um, a lot of those results, sometimes you'll see things like raspberry oil has an SPF of like 35 or something. That is not based off like a proper measurement. That's usually just um, a really quick measurement done inside a simple machine. With um, sunscreen, you're applying it on skin. Sunscreen is properly tested on the skin. When they've tried doing that, they end up with really low SPFs. Plus, you also have to apply that same amount that we mentioned before, like a full shot glass for your whole body. Oils don't really tend to do that very well. They tend to just slide off. So don't use oils. Um, Another one is environmental impact. There's a lot of stuff about how sunscreens are bleaching coral, and that's just not really true. Um, The national academies in the US recently did a big review of all the evidence, and it seems like sunscreens have minimal impact regardless of what type of sunscreen they are, whether it's zinc oxide like the natural ones or the synthetic ones. Um, And in fact, the natural ones, um, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, they seem to be more toxic to coral than a lot of the chemical ones. And that's because when coral is in nature, they're not swamped with zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. Um, Having extra stuff there is like, even if it's natural, it's not in the same area. Um, Other myths, Um, the sunscreen is bad for you. Um, Like it might disrupt your hormones or it might have, um, I guess we've covered the vitamin D part, but yeah, the hormone disruption. Um, with the hormone disruption, the sunscreen chemicals, before they're allowed in sunscreens, they go through a safety assessment. And a lot of the time that safety assessment limits the allowed concentrations of sunscreens to about 1% of an amount that they would consider um, not concerning. So, yeah, um, they have really, really big safety margins for what's acceptable. So sometimes you'll see in the news that they'll say, um, this sunscreen they've lowered the concentration and everyone kind of panics and completely understandable but the concentration was like one percent then and now they've realized it's no longer one percent it's like six percent so now they've dropped it back down to one percent even if you're using the older concentration you were getting six percent with really really high usage they usually estimate it for like someone who uses sunscreen in a very dedicated way
0: and, and should, we should, w- should we wear sun cream every day? Sorry, like even in Ireland on a cloudy day, should we be wearing sun cream if we want to limit kind of the aging properties of of the sun?
1: If you're after the aging, I would recommend wearing it um, at least on your face. Um, if you're in, if you're going to get a decent amount of sun exposure, so if you're leaving the house, um, the sorts of incidental sun exposure you get walking to the car, walking to the train, that could be enough to warrant protection. Um, If you're sitting indoors and you're in a sunny spot, then you are going to get quite a lot of UVA. But if you're indoors and the sun isn't shining directly on you and you can't see much sky, then you're going to get very low UV exposure. So even here in Australia, um, I've calculated that in my office, which has a small window, um, I'm getting about SPF 300 just from my house, like all the walls and stuff. So I personally don't need to wear sunscreen indoors. But I think it also depends on your own skin and what you're concerned about. If you don't care about wrinkles um, and you're not having a lot of sun, like the UV index is relatively low, there's no risk of skin cancer, then I don't think there's really a reason to wear sunscreen. Uh, But on the other hand, if you have a family history of skin cancer, you really, really want to preserve your collagen, you really don't want wrinkles, then I think wearing sunscreen every day is a great idea.
0: Okay. OK, wow. Yeah, because uh, I guess I, I, I do in summertime, but in wintertime, I certainly don't wear sun because it's just not that much sun. And it's, you know, it's a very different climate to Australia here.
1: Checking the UV index is a really good idea, usually as part of the weather report. So um, I think you'll probably find that in winter, the UV index is like zero or one for you. So um, the World Health Organization would not recommend sunscreen.
0: OK, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking here. UV, yeah, I guess it depends on sun, summer versus winter. I, I've never heard of the UV index. Maybe I'm really ignorant. I probably am. Yeah, we're pretty ignorant about certain things. In, in terms of saying traditional cultures where, you know, applying cosmetic creams or things, to, you know, hasn't been become part of their culture, it seems to be, you know, largely came post-industrial revolution and as we kind of moved into a more aesthetically focused era. Like back in more traditional cultures, was it that people didn't live long enough to develop skin cancer or was it typically that, you know, cultures that grew up closer to the sun typically had skin that was more evolved to deal with um kind of heavy sun usage? I'm just trying to understand where sun cream fits into our evolution and where it came about as a necessity to avoid wrinkles and to avoid the possibility of getting skin cancer in essence. And excuse me if this is an obvious Yet question. but
1: No, I think it's a really good question. Um, I get it a lot, actually. Um, It's a mixture of those factors. So first off, um, we no longer necessarily live where we evolve. So I live in Australia where we have a lot of light-skinned people whose skin is not okay with this kind of sun. Um, But also, yeah, the other point that you said about people not living long enough, that is completely true. Skin cancer usually develops maybe in your 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, You generally reproduce, well, we were evolved to reproduce around age like 20s and 30s. So yeah, evolution just does not care about keeping us alive after we've reproduced. So um, yeah, that's another reason. And another reason is just changes in our lifestyles, um, which have happened over time. So pre-industrial revolution, most places were quite um, quite conscious of protecting themselves from the sun from the sun with things like shade. Um, post-industrial revolution and probably in around the 1920s, that's when tanning got really popular. Um, I believe it was Coco Chanel who came back from a trip in the Mediterranean with a tan, and that suddenly became fashionable. So people started going on more summer holidays. We had um, airfares become a lot cheaper, so people could actually fly out on a summer holiday every year and get a whole bunch of sun exposure. So these changes in lifestyle, has it's really impacted how our skin has dealt with the UV. Um, Another one actually is the ozone layer. Um, So there were CFCs, which became really popular in the 50s and 60s. And then in the 80s, they discovered um, CFCs, which were propellants, they were breaking down the ozone layer. Ozone absorbs UV, um, mostly UVB. And with less ozone, that means more UVB is coming through and potentially messing up your DNA, making free radicals in your skin. since CFCs were phased out starting in the ni- late 1980s, the ozone layer has largely repaired itself in most places. Um, but now there's also a lot more, I believe it's nitrous oxide, which comes from agriculture. So there's actually areas of thinning ozone in lots of different places. I believe there's like a bigger hole, um, like a thinned area over the middle of the US and um, there's a big hole over Antarctica, which is partly why Australia has such trouble with UV. Uh, but yeah, lots of different changes.
0: Time to pay the bills now. Um, the, as we said, this podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot Shoes. They're really they're the only shoes we've been wearing for six years, and really we wouldn't take someone as a sponsor unless we really believe in them. And this is a company, and these are shoes that we've seen it in ourselves. Our feet have become more natural. They're stronger. They're wider. I can isolate. There's this kind of movement called toga, which sounds funny and sounds stupid, but it's where you can isolate your toes and move them kind of Individually. Individually and through wearing shoes, at least there's even research from Vivo at universities that your feet muscles will typically improve by 60% within a number of weeks of just wearing barefoot within shoes. Within 100 days, I think in 100 it days. Down so, down. and even think about it logically that in a house, the foundation or the base of the house is the really the, the most important bit which the structure sits on. And the same way we kind of, we just wear shoes without thinking about it, yet our feet are the foundation. And when you've got them in shoes that actually encourage the natural kind of, movements within your feet, it enhances every aspect of your anatomy. Yeah. So uh, if anyone does want to try them out, uh, Vivo Barefoot are offering a 15% off with the code HAPPYPAIR15 and you have nothing to worry about. They're offering a 100-day return policy. So if you don't like your Vivo Barefoot, you can return them free of charge. Yeah, so check them out. VivoBarefoot.com, full range of shoes for all the family from formal to casual to kids um, and everything in between. So 15% off, Pair 15 Okay, I'd love to talk about skincare in general because, okay, I've got the gist of of sun, cre- sun, uh, sun cream. I should wear it on, you know, days when it's sunny and apply it every two hours and a teaspoon for kind of the six parts of my body or six when I divide the body into six at so 30 ml per serving. But I'm thinking more general skincare and then kind of going, okay... Lots of people listening will go, okay, what, like, what's good skincare routine? What are good, good skincare habits? Do should I they, need it? Should they be different at different stages of life? Is it different if I'm a 60-year-old woman versus a 20-year-old man or a 30-year-old woman? Or like, is it, should it be for different phases? Or what are some general principles which you would apply being a chemist and having worked in this area for a long time?
1: So I would say the two most important skincare products that I think most people should be using are sunscreen and cleanser. Um, So sunscreen obviously protects you from the sun, Um, skin damage, Um, whether that's for aging or skin cancer. Cleanser, um, just to get stuff off. So um, if you're wearing sunscreen, you probably want to wash it off at some point. And having a cleanser, the most important thing is having one that's gentle. So your skin shouldn't feel too tight or dry after you finish using it. I know a lot of people like the tight feeling, but that's actually your skin Um, getting dried out and possibly like starting to crack um, if it's really dry. So try to avoid that. Um, Then if you want to go further, the next thing to add would probably be a moisturizer, unless you have very oily skin that is very happy with um, your current routine. So there's really kind of two aspects to a moisturizer. It makes up for lack of oil or lack of water. most people well it depend like I think most people know if their skin is oily or not um, if you don't then your skin's probably normal and you know that's great for you um, you've got the right amount of oil but if your skin is ever dry or itchy or tight um, then you could probably use a moisturizer one of the things about your skin is that it is very responsive to its water level so things like um, your skin barrier, one layer of skin should be shedding per day and the one new layer forms at the base of the epidermis to create that barrier. Um, if there's not enough water, that layer on top doesn't shed properly. Like the cells don't break apart properly and you end up with visible flakes coming off. Um, it might look a bit powdery or ashy on your skin. So if you restore the amount of water, then your skin can actually look after itself pretty well. Um, yeah, so moisturizer would be the next one. Then after that, if you're after a bit more anti-aging or if you have acne problems, um, the biggest thing is probably vitamin A. Vitamin A kind of does everything. It's great. Um, One of the biggest, like, I guess, the big holy grail inventions of skincare has been um, vitamin A derivatives or retinoids. Um, So these are ingredients like retinol, um, tretinoin, which is a prescription version, there's also retinaldehyde, which is getting a lot more popular. This, These are really good for um, just making your skin work in a more uniform way. So it helps your skin shed better. It makes your skin barrier. Um, as you get older, your skin barrier starts to mess up in lots of little ways. gets more uneven and it just helps to even everything out. Um, one of the causes of acne is also your skin cells not shedding right. They shed into the pore and then they start clogging up your pores. So helps with that as well. also helps with pigment. If you have um, uneven pigmentation, which is a problem with people with darker skin that's capable of producing more melanin, sometimes it will just produce a bit too much in response to things like the sun. Um, and also just with trauma and inflammation, it just decides to like pump out more melanin. So yeah, um, vitamin A derivative is the next best step. And that's also, um, there's tons of evidence on vitamin A. So I'd go, yeah, I'd say that.
0: And so vitamin A is a, cra- It's it, it comes as, you can get it as part of a moisturizer and just apply it as that, or is it a yeah, separate so, thing typically?
1: Um, yeah, it's in lots of different forms. It's been added to lots of moisturizers. Sometimes it also comes as a serum, which you would apply before your moisturizer.
0: So in term in terms of skincare, just I'm hearing the basics just because I'm, I guess I haven't don't have as 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 good a habit as many people might have. Uh, but it seems like sun cream is a number one, then it's a cleanser and then possibly a moisturizer. They're the kind of three go to fundamentals of a basic skin routine. And if you want to take it to the next level, add some vitamin A. So that could be part of your moisturizer or it could be a serum. Uh Okay, on the the polar opposite. So those are some of the basic good habits. So what are some of the commonest, the most common, I said commonest, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see people make in terms of skincare? Like the way sun cream, you know, there's the ideas that natural is better. There's the idea that, oh, SPF is 50. You know, there's so many myths around that. What are the typical ones that you see in general skincare routines um, that people have?
1: I think the, Biggest one is people get excited about serums and they start using that before they put in a sunscreen. Um, I think that's the biggest mistake because, firstly, sunscreen can just do so much by protecting your skin. Your skin largely can look after itself as long as you protect it, and yeah, you need that protection. But also, a lot of anti aging products can actually make your skin more sensitive to the sun. Uh, one of the really popular ones is chemical exfoliant. So um, they're called alpha-hydroxy acids. They're ingredients like glycolic acid and lactic acid. People get really excited about these because they are pretty satisfying. You start putting it on and your skin just gets really smooth and glowy. Um, but the problem is it increases your skin's sensitivity to the sun. So a lot of people, after they've used it for a few weeks, suddenly they see their skin starting to... Um, the pigment gets even worse than it used to be. Their skin starts getting really... Um, really coarse and um, you're starting to see a lot more texture. And that's a lot of the time because of that missing sunscreen. So that's probably number one. Um, Paying too much for things. Um, I think just people assuming that more expensive means better. So things like cleansers, you can get really budget friendly, excellent cleansers, moisturizers, sunscreens these days. So um, yeah, don't just go for the most expensive thing. Actually, try it out on your skin. Try to assess what it's doing to your skin. Um, Introduce one product at a time so you can tell if that product is actually making a difference or if um, it's not that product at all. If you introduce like five products at once, you're not going to be able to tell which one is working. So you could be using four unnecessary products. Um, Another one I think is a lot of people with oily skin and acne, they tend to just kind of attack their skin they try to kind of just pummel their skin into submission. And I mean, I did this too as a teenager. It was sort of this, um, the harsher I am to my face, the more it hurts, the more it works. And yeah, again, that's just not true. One of the biggest contributors to acne is inflammation. And if you're attacking your skin with various things, you are probably causing more inflammation, which will lead to getting worse acne.
0: Wow, uh, so in terms of acne, it, it, is food a huge contributor or is it largely the fact that there's such a hormone change through the adolescent and period? The oils and whatnot.
1: It's a mix. Um, so one of the big things that causes acne is having increased sebum production because of that hormone change, but also a change in the composition of the skin oil. So it seems like... Um, In people who have easily clogged skin, they have a different sebum composition, like the actual um, fatty acids inside the skin oil change. And they change in a way that makes it more, um, it thickens more easily and it becomes more sticky. And that's what causes those clogs in the skin that slowly turn into pimples. Um, So that is affected by, uh, like with hormone changes, you're just pumping out more and that composition changes. Food can um, change the composition as well. And it can also increase inflammation. But one of the big issues with food is that all the studies on food and acne, they're really inconsistent. Um, the evidence that we have for different foods causing acne, it just doesn't seem to really tell much of a consistent story. Um, so at the moment, the things that, um, that seem to be most closely linked to acne are, um, high GI diets, and some forms of dairy. So not even all forms of dairy. It seems to be um, low-fat dairy. I think cheese isn't related. Full fat doesn't seem to be related. Yogurt doesn't seem to be related. Whey protein is. So you can sort of see it's just like, doesn't make a ton of sense. And it seems like when people do try to cut out dairy or cut out high GI foods or cut out like chocolate or chips or something, again, it's really inconsistent and hard to tell what's going on. So the current best advice that um most dermatological societies are giving is if you feel like a food might be causing your acne um maybe cut it out for a little bit and see what happens um they generally don't recommend cutting out like a whole bunch of food like dairy for example if you cut out uh, all the dairy out of your diet and you've been quite reliant on dairy then it could lead to some pretty bad nutritional imbalances Um, And it can also lead to things like disordered eating. So, yeah, a lot of the time it just seems to be more reliable to go for proven acne treatments like vitamin A products, um, salicylic acid, benzoyl peroxide.
0: And then one thing that I heard you say just prior to that question was about um, price. Often people fall for the trap that if I spend more, I'm getting better quality. And then you mentioned that often you can have very good quality at kind of a more economical or more value price how does one weigh these up and is it typically the products that are more they've just done a slightly more testing or is it actual the quality and ingredients that differ and and maybe as part of that like when someone is going to the store like when i know when someone's going buying food we'll always say to people like our expertise in food we'll say oh don't trust the front of the packet you know the front of the packet is to sell it look at the ingredients and start to understand how to read a nutritional table on the back of it and i wonder there's some basics you could add into that in terms of buying um cosmetics or skincare products or sun cream products
1: Yeah, so I would say um, the relationship between cost and quality is just all over the place. Um, So with a lot of supermarket products produced by really big brands, those uh, multinational type companies, they have hundreds, possibly thousands of scientists on staff. They put so much research into just the most basic supermarket products. Um, If you look on the products, you'll see things like clinical tests. They'll have like, I don't know, 97% of people who use this for three weeks found, um, a decrease of X amount in whatever feature of the skin Um, and they'll have like 80 subjects. So they just, they have the um, business structure to be able to throw money at um, proper research. And then you have smaller brands. Some of them might be really interested in doing um, research. Some of them might be just selling based on essentially vibes. Um, So yeah, there's so much variation in the market. It's really hard to go with just price. In terms of things to look out for in a product, this is also really tricky because um, one really annoying aspect of skincare is that the regulations are kind of outdated. They were developed when people just, well, when scientists were thinking that skin was inert, it wouldn't really react to stuff. And so there's this sort of like drug cosmetic um, divide in the law where even if a skincare product has found that it can increase your skin's production of collagen, it's technically not allowed to say that um, because that would turn it into a drug and it would have to go through like the drug approval route. So it's a sort of weird situation where like the legal situation doesn't really reflect the real situation and you have to kind of read between the lines. So I think like top tips for picking a product, um, look for an ingredient in the product that can do what you want. So for example, if you're looking for a vitamin A product, then make sure there is a vitamin A in the ingredients list.
0: Will that just be called vitamin A? Like if you're looking at it, it'll say on the back, it'll say vitamin A or vitamin A in the front. Is it that simple or is it typically, you know, the way when I think of sugar, there's a million different ways they say the word sugar. Is the same with vitamin A? Is it just vitamin A? That's what it'll say in the ingredients.
1: Um, On the front, it will probably say vitamin A. Um, on the ingredients list, um. It will be the specific type so it will be something like um so the ones i would personally recommend if you're looking for um stronger effects on skincare um Reginald and reginaldehyde. um those two will be there um there are also um actual prescription drug versions of those um, which you can get through your doctor so talk to your doctor about that um yeah so With the ingredients, check that that is there if you are looking for vitamin A. If it's something like, um, there are some less effective forms like um, retinal palmitate, which doesn't really do much. So try to kind of get to know the ingredient you're after. Um, The other thing I would look for is, or the other two things would be firstly, clinical testing. Um, Ideally, you want a product that's been tested on actual skin. Um, And again, this is looking for claims like 97% of people saw this sort of change. Um, that gives you an idea of how well that performed in their testing. So how well that specific product performed, because the formulation makes such a big difference because it helps ingredients get through the skin. If you just put vitamin A in a random product, it might not work at all because it can't get through and get to where it needs to go. Um, so that's a good indication. Um, and honestly, one of the best indications is looking for reviews. Um, Look for reviews from people with similar skin as you um, and see what they say about whatever it is you're trying to do with your skin. Like if you're trying to reduce pigment, for example, and you have darker skin, then look for reviews from darker skin people who have used that product and see what they say about pigment reduction.
0: Yeah, very practical advice. Biostimulants, the idea of, you know, these kind of wheels where they kind of little spiky things, are these good for helping people I I think the idea is What's a wheel With spiky things It's like a little Kind of a roller thing That has little spikes in it I see Justina Sometimes using them They kind of like Jab in Or these type of things To kind of Bring blood flow To the skin Bring more blood flow And capillary action To the skin I believe And to help Make it more vibrant Is there much research On these being beneficial Or is this um, Sorcery
1: um, so there's a few different types. So I think you're talking about the massaging rollers. Um, so massaging, it's mostly just relaxing. It can reduce tension. Um, it can maybe get a little bit of fluid moving, but it's probably not gonna have really good long term effects. But I think it is really nice and relaxing and I think that in itself is quite valuable. Um, there are also micro needle rollers yeah, which are these ones, um, yes, yeah, that's
0: it. That was the word sorry, yes. The tiny needles. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> the proper spikes. Um. Yeah, so those, uh, mm, I have mixed feelings about them. I think they can be used safely, but it can be a bit tricky. So these are tiny, tiny needles that can stick into your skin. You can get different lengths of needles. Um, You can get really shallow ones that only really prick a bit, like part of the way through the dead layer. So that's meant to help different products absorb, and it seems like it could work reasonably well. If you have the deeper ones, they can jab into that dermis, like the mattress layer of your skin, and it does a sort of controlled wounding. So it creates like very controlled, small wounds in your skin that stimulate your skin's natural healing response. And part of that response is creating more collagen. So the problem with that is if you're doing that at home and it gets deeper, um, it can risk infection if you haven't like properly cleaned your skin and cleaned the roller Um, it can also spread viruses across your skin. So if you have like cold sores or warts, you can just end up with a whole bunch of infection. Um, so yeah, there are risks with the deeper ones, and I would probably recommend not doing that at home, but with the more shallow ones, they should be okay. Again, try to make sure that you keep it clean because if you press too hard, they can get a little bit deeper and into those living layers, which can be a problem. Um, and they can also irritate your skin and irritation can lead to inflammation, which can lead to a whole bunch of things. So um, yeah, try to be gentle to your skin. But if you are gentle with those, I think they can be beneficial.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So some big learnings today. So definitely in terms of basic skincare, cleanser really, really important. Sun cream is the key. Sun cream really is that. That's the biggest thing that I'm taking from today. Vitamin A is a is a good one in in a moisturiser. It's meant to be. You know, as you said, it's it's helps in so many different aspects. Uh, last one I have is coconut oil. Good. Yes. No. I I often use it, and some friends go, yeah, brilliant. And some people go, nah, don't touch it. Um, I I quite like it as a moisturiser for my skin. Yes, no? Just curious.
1: Um, Depends on your skin. If you like it, then it's probably great for your skin.
0: Okay. And then final one for for me is swimming in the sea. It tends to dry your skin and make it tighter. Like obviously it's got salt in it. Is swimming in the sea bad or good for your skin? I assume not that good. But
1: Um, Generally, if your skin feels tighter, that's probably a sign it's getting dehydrated. So probably not great. Probably want to moisturise afterwards.
0: Okay, good one. Great one. Okay, so so okay, so, so that's the basic skincare in terms of sun cream. Just my summaries, my understandings are sun cream. Certainly on sunny days, you should really wear it, apply it uh, every couple of hours. If you're very active or swimming in the water, you should probably reapply it. Um, most people are probably not putting enough sun cream unless they're very particular about it. Sprays aren't effective as lotions or creams. Lotions and creams are more effective. 30 mil, so that's a shot glass. full for covering your full body. Teaspoon for your face. Teaspoon for your neck. Teaspoon front, back, limbs. That's about six. Good cool work. You're paying attention, Mr. Flint. Yeah, I have been. So that's Sun Cream Basics. And then there's the, the, the natural ones are not necessarily better than the chemical ones. The chemical ones, like the more uh, traditional brand ones, that might be cheapest chips in the supermarket, those can be just as effective as the ones that you might buy in a, in a health food store or a fancy premium type store. There's no correlation. Um, and yeah, that, that's... Is that my summary? Is Did I miss bits there? I think you did great.
1: Yeah, that was great. I would probably only just add um, think about sun protective clothing because especially for kids it's so much easier than sunscreen.
0: Yeah, really practical advice. Totally agree. Yeah, that's uh, congratulations with all your work. Lab Muffin is incredible. Like Just the amount of content you're putting out there that's so useful and practical. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're really brilliant. Yeah, yeah, labour of love, it seems. Well, uh, yeah, th- thanks, Mel, for your time today. It's super useful. And particularly for us going into the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, it's really helpful. Certainly all the sun cream stuff, so. And in terms of people wanting to find out more, Lab Muffin on YouTube, Lab Muffin on Instagram, they seem to be your main platform. And your blog. Your large following, and your blog is incredible, like the amount of content on it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Mel, Michelle, you're a star. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Here's, here's to having healthy skin. Or healthier skin.
1: Thank you for having me so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Mind yourself. Bye. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: That was packed full of practical advice. I know I'm gonna um, stop flashing out the, the kind of fancy organic sun cream that makes my face look white. Uh, well, I, I'm definitely gonna make sure that I have sun cream in my bathroom, and particularly during the summer season or the sunny weather here in Ireland, which is definitely not all year round. I will. I will endeavour to apply sun cream every day. Oh, good job. This yeah, is that's a that's serious a good start. And. Uh, and definitely washing my face after swimming in the sea because, yeah, the sea does dry it out. And I do, I'm pretty good at it now, washing my face after. And But I don't really, I'm not the best at moisturizers. Very good. No to self, possibly get better. They are possibly get better. There's a strong commitment from David Flynn. Uh, anyway, hope you got lots out of that and found lots of answers to practical questions that are kind of very, uh, as skin is something that we take for granted and something that it's only when we stop and think about it, I think there's a huge amount of... um Nuggets, golden nuggets yeah, and that. Yeah. So yeah, thanks, thanks Mel for joining us today. And uh check out Michelle's work. Really, really good. Lab, lab muffin. muffin, you'll find her Lab Muffin on Instagram and on YouTube and on her blog. Yeah. So uh thanks Mel for your attention. If you enjoyed this podcast, um please give it a review on wherever you listen listen to podcasts. Um the the higher higher the amount of stars in the review, the the better for us. So uh yeah, thanks Emil. We really appreciate it. bye, 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 bye. bye, 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 bye. bye, bye.